Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it is good to see you guys. It is not good to see the snow, but it is good to see you all. It is, yeah, I'm praising God we're not in Buffalo. Amen. I, I'm, you can pray for me. I'm going to have to learn to adjust. The Midwest is a little different, but uh, good to see you guys. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, I'm excited to be able to jump in with you. Before we do jump in, I do want to just ask you one question. Do you ever feel like you show up to church, or maybe you're new to church or whatever, but do you ever, you ever feel like you show up to church and a song is just for you? You ever feel like that? Yeah. Whoever did that, thank you. <laughs> uh, that's, that's good that we can sit and, and praise God together. So thank you uh, for doing that. Um, we are starting a brand new series called The Tale of Three Kings. And really we're looking at the lives of three men with, with one particular goal. Okay, There's a, a clear goal in mind. The, the goal is to look at the kind of character that would help us grow into, you know, godly or, or more godlike people, you know. Our world is pretty messed up, wouldn't you agree? Like there's all kinds of terrible things that, that happen. And, and, and one of the reasons it's like that is because we've, we have moved away as human beings from being the way we were designed to be. And character, godly character, helps bring us back in line with what God designed us to be. And so these three men that show up in the history of the nation of Israel, each were kings, you know. The first one was Saul. The second one we're going to start looking at today, his name is David. And then the third we'll look at is another king, a king named Absalom. Now, I want to tell you, before we even get into it, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about today, okay? We're, we're talking about character, and I, I just want to remind you of this idea that character will either help you avoid or help you create pitfalls, okay? I just got to remind you, I've been saying this each week, it's either going to help you watch out for, because you're going to face things where you'll have a chance to, you know, kind of dig your own grave, so to speak, you know what I'm talking about? You'll have a chance to do that. Character will either help you avoid it or it'll help you pick up a shovel. <laughs> and that, that's not going to go so well. And so today we're going to talk about an area of our character that I think will really, really help us. And this is the area. We're going to talk about the area of trust. Trust. Not, not necessarily trust for one another, although that's, that's an important thing, but I'm going to talk very specifically with you about trusting God. And can I just tell you, uh, wouldn't you know it in God's sense of humor, I had a week this week where I didn't want to trust God. And then you have to prepare this message. So, we're going to have fun in this together, okay? Okay. Um, Here's, let me give you a quick definition of, of trust, okay? This is just a very simple definition, pulled it off of, you know, from Webster's. It's, it goes like this. Trust is reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety, etc. That, that's an interesting word. It just means like, is, is it reliable? The thing that you're trusting, is it reliable? Like, does it make sense to trust it? 
Okay, it's trusting or reliance in the integrity, strength, ability, surety of a person or a thing that enables us to have confidence, right? Well, I had a thing happen in my life once where this was really tested. Now, I've had a lot of, you know, times where I was encouraged to trust God or trust people or whatever that this has been tested, but there was one that came to my mind this week. Several years ago, I was uh, probably 18 years old, still living in Nebraska, uh, just, I think I was getting ready to graduate high school. It was in my senior year of high school. And my family, we have a farm there. And one of the pieces of our property has a big pond on it. And I used to love to go out there and fish. So one day I told my dad, hey, my buddy Alan and I are going out and we're going to go fishing. And my dad said, hey, it's springtime. Do not drive your truck into the pond. Like, he didn't mean literally in the pond. He meant the pond is about a quarter of a mile off the road. We had a road into the pond, but since it was spring, what does that mean? It was a little muddy. He said, do not drive your truck in towards the pond. And no matter what, if you do drive in towards the pond, do not try to drive around the pond because there's this one area that's always wet and you will absolutely get stuck. Now, I'm 18 years old, and you know that 18-year-olds know better, right? Like, I mean, they know better than you. <laughs> they definitely know better than dad. So my buddy and I, we pull up to the, to the gate to drive in. You know, it was a quarter, you know, it was a, I guess, more like a half mile in, and I started thinking, you know, that's a long ways. The grass is really tall. I don't want to walk. So we drove, because I knew better, and we made it, right? But then we decided, ah, oh, man, the fish just aren't biting on this side. So you know what happened, right? I thought, let's drive around. And of course, no, we made it, because I knew better. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We absolutely got stuck. We buried the truck because I refused to listen to my dad. I thought I knew better. I decided to trust myself. And rather than trusting him, rather than believing him, rather than acting on what he said, I decided to do my own thing. And here's, the, here's what I figured out that day. I figured out something really interesting. I like the idea of trust as long as we're talking about it, but I don't quite like the discomfort that's required to demonstrate it. I don't like to have to walk. I don't like to have to depend on somebody else. I don't like to have to wait. I don't like to have to get the answer no. And I would guess you're probably something like me. I like the idea of trust. I like to say I trust God but I don't like the discomfort. How about you? And it's in the midst of the discomfort, it's, it's there that we get the opportunity to actually demonstrate it. And so today, when we talk about trusting God and we look at the life of David, and you're going to see some, some really uncomfortable situations that gave him the opportunity really to, to demonstrate trust. I want you to think about your life and I want you to think about the times where it starts to get a little bit uncomfortable and painful and hard. And I want you to know that that 
is where God is really up to something big. Because when we trust God, he starts to produce in us godly character. He starts to change us. In fact, I would say it like this. Godly character stems from trusting God. Now, just a quick side note. I know we haven't even gotten to the text yet. I'll get there in a minute. But just a quick side note. It's really hard to to trust someone that you don't know. Did you know that? It's really hard. My wife and I kind of experienced that moving here. We didn't really know anybody. And it's like, you all are great people and, and, and... but it, it's different to trust someone you don't know yet. Guess what that means for us with God? We need to take time to get to know him. We need to take time to get to know him in his word. So that's a freebie. We'll move on. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of David, okay? And David's life teaches us something because David was just an incredible king. The the scripture talks about him as probably the best king in the nation of Israel. He was really great, but where did his greatness come from? Well, he teaches us that greatness comes from trusting God. That's where it comes from. And I think we have the potential to be greatly used of God, and we have the potential to be great blessings, but we are going to have to trust him. So let's look at the life of David and two situations where David demonstrates great trust, okay? They're, they're, we're going to start in 1 Samuel 23. So if you've got a Bible, you can open up there. If you want to follow along um, on, your, on your phone, you can follow along there. But I'll show you all the verses up here as well. 1 Samuel 23, this is a little bit after, you know, kind of the, the, the text that we looked at last week where David has started serving Saul, and then we have the whole interaction of David and Goliath, this giant that David actually conquers uh, on behalf of God and helps deliver the nation of Israel, and then jealous, you know, Saul started getting jealous. Well, shortly after that, we find David, you know, having to run for his life. 1 Samuel 23 talks about David on the run for his life. Look at what it says, starting in verse 1. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they're looting the threshing floors, okay? This is David out on his own. Right now, at this point, he's got between four and 600 men who have come to him and said, we're with you. We're not going to follow Saul anymore. He wasn't trying to raise up an insurrection, but he's living out away from the king and living out in the wilderness. But here he hears that the the Philistines are, are destroying one of the Israelite towns and they're taking all of their food. What does David do? Verse 2. So he inquired of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that David did was he asked God, God, what should I do? Man, that tells us something. If you're anything like me, I tend to go, what do I want to do? That's my natural tendency. To go, go, okay, here's the situation, there's a problem. What do I want to do? Or what do I think needs to be done? Rather than the first thing that I do is stop and go, God, what do you want? Thankfully, that's what David does. He goes, God, what do you want us to do? Should I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord answered him, yes, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. 
But guess what happened? In verse 3, we find out that David's men, those four to 600 men that are there with him, they were afraid. Look at what it says. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. They were living in the Judean wilderness. They were afraid of Saul. They were living out by themselves. They're afraid. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? So now we wouldn't just have Saul coming against us, but we'd have the Philistines coming against us. Why would we go and put ourselves in between a rock and a hard spot? Do you get that? Do you ever feel like sometimes God puts you in those situations where you're between a rock and a hard spot? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like as you're looking at the situation, you can't see any good way out and you're wondering what God is up to? To me, it's very interesting that in both of these accounts we're going to look at today, David ends up in a spot where God has uniquely put him in between a rock and a hard spot and God shows up. Maybe that says something to me and to you. That when you feel like you're in between a rock and a hard spot, God is up to something. So they say, we're afraid. What should we do? Well, David is the leader of these men, so what does he do? He says, no, I'm the leader. I'm going to tell you what to do. We're going to go. No, that's not what he does. Look at what the text says, verse 4. Once again, David inquired of the Lord. He asked God, God, what should I do? And the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David, here he is in between a rock and a hard spot, and David chooses to trust God. Verse 5. So David and his men went to Keilah. They fought the Philistines, and they carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines, and he saved the people of So what does it look like to evidence trust? Because here's David, kind of on his own, out in the wilderness, and he chooses to trust God. What does that trust mean? I'm going to share with you two things that I think trusting God means in our lives, okay? The first is I think trusting God means courage rather than fear. It means choosing to stand in courage over our fears, the things that we're afraid could happen. Now, imagine with me. Have you ever played the what-if game in your brain? You ever ever played that? Let's say, for example, let's say you know God is asking you to be generous with something. And then you start the what-if game in your mind. It's like, what if I give this and, and a giant problem comes up? My furnace goes out. What if? Or what if I do this and, and my car breaks down? What if? What if I do this and I lose my job? What if? What if I put in all this hard work and do all of these things and nobody recognizes me? What if? Can I trust and obey over my fears? I imagine that was going on in David's mind. I imagine in his mind was, what if? So I've tried to think about, well, what what does this look like for us? Well, frankly, 
Courage over fear for us means that we learn to obey God in spite of some hard things. For example, courage means that we, have, we are willing to take a stand and we have the courage to turn from addictions and obey God. We have the courage to obey God when everybody else is going in this direction and God is telling us, nope, don't live that way. Don't do those things. Don't go the way of the things that you see on TV or whatever it might be. Obey me. It's the courage to fight for your marriage when you're not sure that it's going to get fixed. It's the courage to stand with your children when they are you know, living out their faith at school and it is unpopular. It is the courage to confront somebody who is walking in sin, a believer who is walking in sin, and you're not sure that they're going to turn, but you're willing to put your neck out on the line. It's the courage to be generous. It's the courage to stand with someone who is in need of grace. It's the courage to turn off the TV and read the scriptures with your kids courage. It's the courage to share your faith in the workplace when you might lose your job and you'll certainly be unpopular. It's the courage to invite your neighbors over and invite them to church. It's, it's the courage in spite of our fears. That's what trusting God looks like. And quite frankly, oftentimes we, we already know because we have the completed word of God, quite frankly, oftentimes we already know what God wants us to do, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Now, not all the time, I get it. I, I realize you may be new to faith or you may, may not even be sure about faith. And I will tell you, the beautiful thing about God's word is that he does make clear what is the best pathway of life. Now, not the easiest one, and certainly not the popular one, but he does show us in his word the best pathway. And then he calls us to trust. Now, David's story goes on, and he has several more opportunities to trust God. Look at verse 6. Now Abiathar, son of Amimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to Keilah. Now this is an important section, but, but we wouldn't know so if we didn't read the chapters before. The chapters before chapter 23 tell us that Saul was hunting David, and he found that David had been in this town called Nob. And so he went to Nob, and that David had been aided by these priests who were there at Nob, and they had given him food, they had given him the, the bread that, had, that was, you know, meant to be offered to the Lord, and it had sat there on the table of presents, and when it was done being used, they gave it to David so he could feed his men. So Saul went there, and he found all of these priests, and he slaughtered every last one of them. So he thought, except Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech. Ahimelech ran and found David and he brought this, this you know, linen uh, uh, you know, shirt that, that the priests wear and he's there with David. 
And verse 7 tells us what happened. Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul, verse 8, called up all his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. And David said, Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard Definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. So what does he do? David could have stood in pride and said, that's it, we're going to fight here because I'm tired of this. David is killing other people, he's chasing me, I'm tired of being treated like a dog. What does he do? No, again he goes back and he asks God, what should I do? I hope you won't miss that. I hope you won't miss how many times David, first and foremost, evidences trust by asking God. I wonder how many times we run ahead. I wonder how many times we make our own choices. I wonder how many times we, in the process of, of, of the crises of our lives, we think we have to do something but God is actually up to something already if we would just wait and trust and ask. So David asks. What does he ask? Verse 10. Or verse, he says, uh, in verse 10, says, so David, if we can go back to verse 10 there, says again, David asks, will the citizens or... Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to destroy the, the town of Keilah on account of me. Verse 11, he goes on and he says, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. So he knows Saul's going to come against him. And then he asks him the next question. He says this in verse 12. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 men in number, left Keilah. And they kept moving from place to place. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. I wonder... When we face crises, do we actually believe that God is with us? Do we, do we believe that our king is for us? He's speaking, apparently. <laughs> See, here's what I know. I know that what we trust is on full display when we are in crisis. I know that. I know that to be true. And when you're in crisis, it makes you wrestle with the question like, is God able to deal with my crisis? Is he big enough? Is he strong enough? Is he able? And when you get in the midst of that crisis, who and what you trust, it's on full display. Well, for David, he models for us trusting God. It's beautiful. 
Now, let me show you the the other account, okay? Through the end of chapter 23, David is moving around. He's he's having to kind of be on the run because Saul is trying to kill him. And then we go into chapter 24, and, and now David is faced with a different set of circumstances to trust God. In the first set of circumstances, David was the one that was really kind of in a rough spot, and he had to, he had to wait on God. In this set of circumstances, David has to choose to trust God when he could have come up with his own way that would have made things go faster. Let, let me explain. Chapter 24, we pick it up and it says this, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. He was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. This is in the southern portion of the nation of Israel. We know exactly where this is today. En Gedi, it's the idea of the, 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 uh, the, the, the dwelling place, or the, the, the water for goats, okay? It's like spring of the goats. That's the idea. You can go there today and, and, and see it. It's just beautiful. What it is, there's, a, there's kind of a waterfall and a, a stream that comes out of nowhere in the middle of of the desert and there's all these caves and clefts and you can hike up in there it's about a two mile hike that gives you the context for what's happening David and his men are there so Saul took 3,000 able young men David has 600 men now Saul has 3,000 five to one you would think that Saul's got it covered. But you know what's interesting? God is never disadvantaged. I don't care what the odds are. God is never disadvantaged. I I love the story of Gideon, where, where Gideon has all these men, and little by little, he ends up having to send them away until it's all the way pared down to 300 men, and they're going against a giant army. God disadvantaged himself, and he said, I will win the battle for you, but God is never disadvantaged. It's the same with David. So here we are, 600 men, 3,000 men coming after them. What's going to happen? Well, Saul took about 3,000 able young men from all Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And it just so happens that David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, remember with me, who or what you believe and who or what you are is on full display when you're in crises. Who or what David is is about to be displayed when he has a crisis of opportunity. Look at what happens. Then the men said to David, this is verse 4, This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Guess what they're saying? God already told you you're going to be king. Saul's not anymore. Someday there'll come a day when I turn it all over to you. And they interpreted that and said, hey, God already told you he's going to put him in your hands. Guess what? Today is that day, David. Kill him. Get rid of him so we can go sleep in our beds and not be on the run anymore. Who or what does David trust? Does David trust God 
and choose to obey God in the midst of a crisis? Or does David trust that, hey, there might be a better way? I might be able to expedite this. I can see God already promised that's the end line. I see a way to take a shortcut to the end line. Here's the problem. We can often see shortcuts. I can see them. I could see shortcuts in ways that, you know, I could, I could meet goals that I think God wants me to have, but, but it would require a break in character. You can see shortcuts at work, ways to get what you want. You can see shortcuts at home. You can see shortcuts, you know, all over the place. But who or what do you trust? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you desperately want, uh, uh, you, you know, you're, you're, you're lonely and you want to be married and you desperately want that and you can see a shortcut. All it takes is you compromising your morals. Maybe you've been working for years and you desperately want that promotion and you can see a way there. All it takes is you taking a shortcut and doing something that the boss wants you to do that you know is wrong. You get what I'm saying? Here's David. And what does David do? Verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now that doesn't seem like much. But this would have been something that signified that God was done with Saul. And after all of this, rather than killing him, rather than, than doing what his men wanted him to do, look at what occurs. Verse 5, afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Because even that cutting off a corner of a robe was an act of de defiance. It was an act of saying, God is done with you, Saul. Communicating how David felt. But he did not take the shortcut. See, trusting God means choosing courage over fear, but trusting God also means mercy over judgment. It means being merciful to the people around you who don't deserve it. It means being merciful in the workplace. It means being merciful when someone hurts you. It means forgiving. It means choosing to do what is right. Even when you know you have every right, every reason, the person has been so terrible to you, you absolutely have every right to just snark or snap back at them. But that's not trusting God. That's living in our flesh. Christians, okay, I'm going to speak to you in this room, realizing there may be people who are, who, who you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. Can I, can I just tell you, Christians, we must be different. Our lives must be different. And we trust him. We trust him when there's a crisis. Is your God big enough to handle your crisis? Let me show you how the story ends with, with David. Verse 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. This is key. David is saying, you know what? I don't get to choose who is king. God does. God made Saul king. And until God does something else, I'm trusting 
God? What if we adopted that posture? Right? There's a person that you don't like who's in a leadership position over you and you just know they're unqualified or uneducated or whatever it might be. Can you trust God? Nor should I lay my hand on him for he is anointed of the Lord. Verse 7, he goes on. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and he did not allow them to attack Saul. I can just imagine the men are like, fine, you won't do it, we're doing it, let's go. Can you imagine being in this cave? I, I just wonder, like, I, I spent the day out yesterday hunting with my boys and there's all kinds of whispering and I learned that teenagers cannot sit still for more than 37 seconds. <laughs> okay, yeah. But there's all kind of, shh, shh, see that, see that, shh, quack, quack. You know, can you imagine what it was like in this cave? <laughs> probably a lot like that. Saul left the cave and he went his way. This isn't the end. David has a conversation with him and God gives him the opportunity to show Saul what it really looks like to trust God. And he goes out and he has a conversation with him. Okay? Before I show that to you, I want to ask you a question though. David had every opportunity to take shortcut. I wonder what shortcuts are you willing to take for something good? You can see something good, something good that God wants you to have. Are you willing to take a shortcut? Or will you choose to trust? Here's the end. David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked Behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? Verse 10, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands, into the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed and then he holds up the piece of cloth and he says this. He says, see, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. I want you to pay attention to this phrase. It's going to come up again. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 13. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. In other words, out of my heart springs my character, right? And if I was willing to do evil things, if I was willing to take shortcuts... I would do it. That tells me we need to choose to not take shortcuts. You and I need to choose to trust God even if we don't like the circumstances. Verse 14, against two is the king of Israel come out. Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? He's like, I'm nothing. You have everything. You're the king. You've got the kingdom. I have nothing. I'm living in the wilderness, living in caves. Why are you pursuing me? Verse 15, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider it my cause 
May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Here's the point. David's trust led him to the place where he said, I'm leaving the results in your hand. Now, I told you earlier that I had, I had a week where I wanted to take the results into my own hands. And wouldn't you know that God in all of his uh, love and, and kindness for me said, Aaron, that's not good for you. And he's calling me to trust him with it. I don't like that. Can you identify? I'd rather take it up and figure it out myself. But I'll tell you, it'll shortcut what God is going to do. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you. So I'm going to leave you with two questions, okay? And I would urge you, if you are taking notes, or if you have a, one of our cards in front of you, please write your answer down to these and talk with someone in your small group or talk with whoever you came with today about these two questions because otherwise you're just going to have a nice story about David that results in no change. And I don't want that. So here's the two questions. Question number one. What do you need to do that's right right now, but you're scarred. You're scared. Sorry, that's from my boys. They say that. I'm scarred. <laughs> you're scared. What do you need to do right now that's right, but you're scared? Where do you need to trust? Is it time for you to trust God and put your faith in him? Is it time for you to stop trying to do it yourself? Is it time for you to lean on him and rest in him? Is it time for you to give up and make him the, the, the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sins? Is it time for you? Is it time for you to obey at work? Is it time for you to confess sin and move away from it, to get help? Is it time for you? but you're scared, let's trust him. Question two, what shortcuts have you been entertaining? Where have you been thinking about doing an end run around God? Wherever it is, I tell you, if you write them down today, if you talk to somebody, I'm confident that the Lord will begin to help you. And we'll be able to see that our God is not disadvantaged in your crisis. Father God, thank you for your word. Please help us to live in line with it. Please help us to trust you. I, I believe in a room like this today, there's a lot of things that we're going, man, I, I, I need to see this fixed or changed or I'm struggling here. God, what do I do? I pray that we would see you move this week. I pray that we would, we would see you change things. I pray, God, that, that we would be able to trust you and depend on you and not take shortcuts and not take it into our own hands. And even if we're in between a rock and a hard spot, we'd say, my God is the God of deliverance, and so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to watch, and I'll see him move. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.